Well, hello, world. <laughs> Tiny Petal Podcast here, talking about the topics that nobody wants to talk about, but go in there together. I'm Kelly. As always, yes, as always, Scott is here too. Um, well, not as always, because next one I'm going to be doing by myself. It's going to be about trauma and, um, yeah, dealing with trauma and how it's it's manifested within us. Today, we will be talking about death. Yay! Getting right to those positive mm-hmm. topics. But I think it's uh, an important topic to talk about, not just because of it being something that is important to talk about, but with COVID running rampant and uh, people losing their lives um, and then people having to grieve while in quarantine, um, I think it's just important to talk about it. So as I said last time, I know that I was heavy winded on the the talking. And so this time I'm going to go ahead and let Scott lead us into this topic. Um, Scott has a bit of a different perspective than, than a lot of us because Scott actually lost a friend um, that he was deployed with over in Afghanistan, Iraq. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Good um, I know. Yeah. Um, and so he's going to talk a little bit about that story and then how that has affected him in his everyday life. And then also, I think he's going to talk a little bit about just a couple of other deaths that he's, he's experienced. So without further ado, take it away, Scott. Well, to preface my Afghan-Iraq story, so prior to my best friend dying, actually two days before that, my grandfather died. And it was kind of one of those ones that we knew was coming. He had been sick before, and I was living out of town before uh, I deployed out of away from Haleyville, which he lived in. And me and my brother were raised by our grandparents on both sides. And we, uh, I got a call from my father saying that, uh, I need to go see Papa Sibley before I deployed and made sure to make sure to do it. So I, uh, definitely did. I could tell that he was sick. But I did make sure to get me, my brother, and my sister all there together to see him together one last time <clears throat> before we, uh, before I deployed. So I knew it. We at least did that. But yeah, pretty like literally two days before my best friend uh, died in Iraq, which I'll explain that in a second. Uh, my grandfather, who whose cancer had come back for the third time, he decided not to do chemo, but he ended up having a heart attack in the uh, doorway of his house and passed away. And I was quickly told by my superiors that I would not be able to go home and see him for his, and, you know, funeral and all that because there was no proof that he raised me. So I was just stuck mourning that, but uh, then right after that, I had to go on a mission. Like they gave me a day off, but then right after that, I had to go on a mission. And then they changed their mind at the last minute 
and said, uh, we need you to go to this class for these uh, basically hand-controlled uh, guns or turrets on top of uh, vehicles. And I was like, well, my vehicle doesn't have those type of uh, things, so I don't need to go there. And, of course, you can't argue with your superiors in the military. So I uh, ended up talking to my best friend who drove the same kind of vehicle as, that I did. And he was like, I'll take the mission for you. He's like, you just get the next one for me. So, you know, that means you get two days off, I get two days off, you know, ha, 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 ha. I was like, okay, that's that's fine with me. So I get to the uh, place where I was supposed to be doing this class, and I get there, and they're like, you're not supposed to be here. You don't have that equipment on your vehicle. I was like, I know. I'm just doing as I'm told. So I sat there and literally watched a movie with the guys that worked there while everybody else was doing this class. And we get a call over our radio saying that uh, the Buffalo's been hit, which is a uh, – vehicle that's specifically designed to uh look for ieds in iraq which was my job and it was like okay whatever i mean it's an ied you know it is what it is and and there's like no we've got y'all got to get back now it's bad and i was like i can't be that bad i was like my vehicle's broken that's why i've got to get back so fast because it's broken my vehicle so I get back to the thing, to the uh, where we live, and nobody's talking to me. And finally, after I like drop off my gear, they tell me to drop off my gear. I'm asking questions, nobody's answering. The chaplain's there, so I'm freaking out, and, I, and I'm just getting mad. And then a guy that I wasn't even like that good of friends with, he just walks up to me and he goes, "I'm sorry, Scott. He has never called me Scott." ever before and i was like why he was like have you not heard about Laman yet which is john my best friend and i was like no what do you mean he says he's dead and i was like no and he was like yeah he's dead and then of course i just started ugly crying and he sat there and held me like this guy that you know i probably said five words to before Sat there and just held me while I cried. And it sucked. And, you know, it made me very, very angry for a very long time. But, you know, me, the military, uh, God, uh, anybody I could really be angry with because at the end of the day, it's, I hate to say it this way, but it is what it is. It's one of those things that it, it could have been me, but it, it wasn't. And and so I just, I deal with it. I mean, I still go to therapy. I still talk about it. It still bothers me. I'll always have survivor's guilt. It's just not as bad. It's, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing I could have done to change it. I tried everything I could to change it. There's nothing I could have done to change it. How long did it take you to get to that place? Like where you're in like accept, like the acceptance mode of it? Ooh, like years. Like I was going to therapy and like, you know, every day I'd go to therapy. She'd be like, oh, you know, it's not your fault. You know, it's not your fault. It was, you know, 
but it's one of those things when it's your best friend and it was a mission you were supposed to go on and he's like five years younger than you it's just all those things it's like he had his life ahead of him you know by that time i already had you know brought two kids into the world i was like okay it's it i i could go it's fine you know but he uh it, it's taken years but would I mean, you say I, that that's like the most traumatic death you've ever had to deal with um one all up in my face probably i mean all deaths are traumatic in a different way like my my grandmother's was tra- traumatic pretty traumatic in a different way too but that's because you know as you said at the beginning i was never able to get closure because of everything that was going on with my uh that side of the family like i got to visit her a couple weeks before she uh she died and i mean i literally had to take off time off work that i couldn't take off really but they were really nice and let me and was able to drive down to Alabama. I was living in Virginia at the time and get to spend a couple hours with her and just, you know, she asked me when I was going to get to see her again and I didn't have an answer. I just told her, you know, I'll be, I'll I'll come back down when I can again, but it'll be a little while. You know, I mean, she looked at me and was like, you gave me the look. Like, you know, she knew what that meant and I knew what that meant. And, you know, she gave me a hug and told me she loved me. And, I mean, that was last time I spoke to her and I didn't get to go back down for her funeral or anything like that because that side of the family didn't want me there. So, it is what it is. You want me to dive into mine? Well, sure. Are you, do you have any more that you want to talk about? No, I mean, I've had deaths here and there, but I mean, there's nothing like those. So, forgive me, I have a Jolly Ranger in my mouth, y'all, sorry. I um, I would start this by saying that <clears throat> the first death that I have experienced that was traumatic for me would be two of my dear friends that died together in a car accident in 2000. Um, their names were Zach and Ron, and they died together. And so it was a double whammy for me and very, very, very hard to deal with. I was, when this happened, they, they died July 16th of 2000, and I had just turned 19 on the 12th of July. And they were driving back from Stillwater, and they, they had a car accident and died. And the... I had had a couple of friends that have died when I was in high school um, that were also pretty upsetting for me, but this one was the the one that looking back on my life that I remember being like, oh my gosh, so this is what people have to deal with when they're dealing with death. I was even um, hospitalized after they died because I was drinking all the time. I was very depressed. I was not sleeping. Um, and I got some, you know, acute help in that moment dealing with the death of Zach and Ron. Um, and so what I was going to do is I say that now, cause I was going to dive into some of my friend deaths that have been substantial. Um, my friend Nate died 
um, from suicide. And then Matty, of course, I spoke at his service, Matt Hall. He, he died from uh, a few different things, but definitely too young for the way that he died. And then um, Scott Hatfield, um, who died in his sleep. And then my friend Greg, who also died recently, but there's been several others in between, Jake Janway and a few others. But all of these were difficult deaths for me to deal with, especially considering that then when I say that they're my friends, and that would mean that they were right around my age. And so, and they all died circumstantially in ways that they didn't have to. Um, however, I believe that when Zach and Ron died in 2000, that as horrible as a death that that was for me to deal with, that that was like the jumping off point to have me prepared for the deaths in the future that I was going to be experiencing that I would in no way know that I was going to be experiencing. And so I'm going to jump ahead to the year 2015. Um, between the time of September of 2015 to May of 2017, I lost my dad. I lost Matt Hall. I lost my grandfather, who was my last living grandparent. I lost my cat, who was my first, my my pet cat of many, many years, and then I lost my daughter. So there are a whole lot of different elements tied into each death here because each death that we experience relationship-wise affects us in different ways. My father had been suffering from um, frontotemporal dementia that he had had following a stroke. And for about a year after my dad had that stroke, you know, I was living with my mom and my dad. My mom was, um, had throat and lymph node cancer and she needed to be taken to radiation like five days a week. And my dad had had a stroke. He was a fall risk. And at the time I was married to my first husband, Randy and Randy and I were, you know, local and in a place we didn't have children yet. We were in a place that we could move back in with them and help them with these things. Um, that ultimately would lead, lead to the demise of my first marriage, understandably so. Um, but also it gave me. I wouldn't go that far. Well, it did. I mean, it did. He didn't sign up for that and <clears throat> he was a good person. And, you know, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying that that contributed to the demise of my, my marriage. Yeah, it um, helped. It did help, but I'm not complaining because I have a wonderful husband now. So that's what I'm saying is like all of these, all of these events have eventually led us to where we are right now. And I'm pretty satisfied where I am right now in life. However, going back to that time, <clears throat> my dad had had a stroke and that had brought on some kind of dementia that we weren't sure about yet. Through the months that passed, we figured out that it really wasn't Alzheimer's. It was something else. And then he got the diagnosis of frontotemporal dementia. Um, the blessing of this is that I did get to see and get to know my dad in the final time of his life as a different person. Um, not that he was a bad person before, but um, his, his dementia manifested itself in a way that made him completely childlike, um, very, very kind um, and loving and sweet. And I, I do feel like didn't you say like the the worse he got, the kinder he got or something like that? Well, you know, 
he was so he was so sweet at the beginning. I would say that the worst that he got, I don't know how to explain it. Um, the worst that he got, he was almost just removed from the world. So he was very unaffected and very, and that in a sense gave him grace, I guess. Um, kind of like in High Fidelity when he says that. She's so unaffected it gave her grace. But anyway, um, so when my dad passed away, he died in September of 2015. Um, he did get to know at the time that I was pregnant with Brianna, my daughter. Um, he did know that he was going to be a papa again, but he didn't understand. He, it had gotten to a point where he didn't recognize me, you know, until I sat there and told him who I was for a while. He, he didn't really know much of where he was. And, you know, they call Alzheimer's and dementia the long goodbye because essentially you're dealing with this disease for a long time and it, it can kind of prepare you. So when my dad passed away, it wasn't this huge traumatic loss. Um, it was definitely sad because he's my dad and, you know, and right now in my life, you know, he didn't get to meet Brianna and I miss the protector that I had with my dad. I miss the aspect of my dad always making things better. I miss my dad's hugs. You know, there's certain things that I, I miss every day. And that is how that, that death has affected me. However, when he died, we were at peace with it because he could have suffered a lot longer than he did. And a lot of people that have dementia, you know, end up dying from starvation and things like that. And it, it hadn't gotten to that point yet, to which I am grateful. That's a blessing. It is. And so um, that's a little bit different. I think that when a person loses a parent, um, you feel a sense of losing a, a piece of yourself. And I mean that literally and metaphorically. Like, you know, I look like my dad. I'm, and I am my dad's only biological child. I look like my dad, you know, at the service, his cousins and stuff were just like, oh my gosh, you look so much like Danny. Like, and I was like, well, thank you, because my I felt like my dad was a pretty handsome man. And and so I think that when you're dealing with losing the parent and you're losing the idea of the caretaker and you're losing a part of that childlike identity, that that is something that, that goes in waves and is hard to deal with when it comes to dealing with a parent. Um, <clears throat> you know, jumping to, back to my friend's losses, I feel like, I feel like I dealt with just a lot of confusion with their deaths, mainly, and, and that brought me to being angry, that brought me to being hyper-emotional, hyper-sensitive hyper to things, angry, um, just because, you know, death is, is strange, it's the, it's the one thing that all of us cannot avoid, it's inevitable, yet it is one of the hardest things to deal with because of our innate need to attach to one another as human beings and to love one another and I think that when you're forced to deal with the loss of a relationship early on people don't understand how that can affect your life moving forward um, and that brings me to Brianna so I don't want to dive too far into the whole story of my daughter because I'm going to kind of dive into that on my next podcast when we talk about trauma. Um, but I will say that, you know, back to talking about Randy and I, you know, Randy and I were married. Um, 
I believe, yeah, we were married about a month following a very traumatic miscarriage that we had. I think we were kind of looking for a savior in our relationship and also in our, our tragedy. Um, and that's a loss too, that is relevant to bring up, I guess. But, um, yeah, so Randy and I never had the opportunity to deal with that because the March after we lost the baby is when we moved in with my parents. And so there were a lot of contributing factors to the loss of that marriage. But like I said, uh, I had always wanted to have a baby um, my entire life growing up when everybody was like, I want to be an astronaut and a teacher. And I was like, I want to be a mom. I can't wait to be a mommy. It was just my my wish. Um, and I never thought that moving forward in my life that having a baby was going to be something that would be traumatic for me. Um, I also didn't think it was going to be some kind of challenge. And then, you know, yeah. So following my relationship with Randy, I dated around a little bit and then I met Brandon who is Brianna's dad. And we, Brandon had had four daughters from our previous marriage who were and are still the light of my life. Um, And I dove quickly into that relationship head on being stepmom. And I was totally great with that. I thought, you know what, if I live the rest of my life as these girls stepmom, I will die happy. These are the best girls ever. And I felt really, really blessed. Yeah, they really are. They're just the best girls ever. Um, But a year, about a year after Brandon and I were together, I got pregnant. And this time around, I found out really early that I was pregnant. And so I went to my doctor and I was like, okay, here's the deal. I'm pregnant again. And she was like, well, let's test your progesterone levels. And that was the problem the first time. The first time that I had a miscarriage, my body just did not produce progesterone, like at all. So this time, early on in the pregnancy, she put me on a whole bunch of progesterone, and my first trimester was fucking perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect in every way. And um, the only issues I had had in the past with getting pregnant was having polycystic ovarian syndrome. They had told me it'd be very, very, very difficult to get pregnant. But, you know, the couple of times that I necessarily wasn't not trying to get pregnant, I did. So um, anyway, that brings me to second trimester. And what ended up happening is that I got severe preeclampsia. And Brianna came very early. And like I said, I'll dive more into that story later. But uh, I ended up having Brianna and she survived. And I had her for 509 days, which is about uh, a year and five and a half months-ish. year and five months, we'll say. Um, and she died on a Monday afternoon, May 7th, May 8th of 2017 from pneumonia. Um, that has been, and as if you do the math, you know, we are what September, 2020 now. So it's been a little over three years. It has by far been the worst, of course, most traumatic, um, hard death to deal with for a few contributing factors. One is that you know, as soon as she was born, I was immediate, no matter what her chances of survival were, if she had been stillborn, even I would have been immediately ready to die first. And that's really, that's a whole other element too. I think that when people have a stillborn child, that is something that I will never understand. Like I, I can never 
I can't relate to that. And I hope I don't ever have to relate to that. But I, I would imagine that it's the, it's the same exact feeling, whether that baby's born alive or not, you're immediately ready to go first. And when you don't, it, um, it really causes an upheaval of chaos in your life. I was Brianna's 24 seven caretaker and uh, she had some issues sprung on from being born early and also some genetic issues from having William syndrome, but she was the absolute light of my life. Um, it affects my every day, every moment, every second of my life, kind of like alcoholism. If you're in AA, it's one day at a time. Same thing with me. It's literally a day at a time. I, uh, I am not only when you when you're dealing with the death of a child, you're not only dealing with this traumatic loss, but you're dealing with all of the what ifs, all of the what would this be like now, um, you know, this December, she would be turning five. And I always talk about it's called I call it the ribbons and bows mentality that I have where it's like, man, I wonder what dresses she would be fitting in. I wonder what her hair if her hair would still be kind of red and curly. Um, and when I see friends that post their like first days of school pictures and things, I'm like, gosh, I, I wonder what she would say and what she would be into and what her beautiful little face would look like now. And, and I have moved into the part of this process of accepting that I'm just going to be that way for the rest of my life. And I think that Scott has had to move into a sense of acceptance as well because he's going to have to accept that his wife is going to be grieving her daughter for the rest of her life and scott and i honestly <clears throat> there's there's i believe that there are blessings in death like i was talking about the blessings of my my father's dementia and things i wouldn't have known him that way um i'm not saying that there were blessings out of brianna's death but there were i mean i have a hypersensitive love for all things in the world i appreciate i feel like i appreciate things on a deeper level than other people ever could and i don't ever wish them to appreciate it deeper i just know that mine's there i also am insanely grateful for the fact that i would not have met scott if brianna hadn't passed away when brianna died i went traveling and i met scott when i was traveling and we've been together ever since and um he's been a great support system for me I just know that the death of a child, it's, it's similar to the death of a parent in the sense that you lose a sense of yourself, you lose a sense of your identity. Um, the only difference is, is that I think that as a child, subconsciously you grow up ready for your parents to go first. And that, I'm not saying that that in any way prepares you for the, the sadness that you're going to experience when your parent dies, but there's no way to prepare a person to, um, there's no way to prepare people to deal with a, a, the death of a child. It's just, it's the worst death. It's the most unnatural. And um, it's one day at a time, one moment at a time. I think the most helpful thing for me in dealing with that death has been giving myself, you know, permission to be fucked up, to give myself permission to you know, whenever I, there's been a couple of times when we go through things, we find stuff of hers, I smell it and I get really emotional. And instead of just saying, don't get emotional, don't cry. Just, I just cry and I just get emotional because 
it is emotional. <laughs> it is, it's a sad fucking thing, you know? Um, we just sit there in it and, and deal. And then it, it, you know, it's like a, it's a, it's literally a wave. You know, I called my, I had a um, grief support group that we called waves that hopefully we'll pick up back when COVID is not a thing. But anyway, because the wave, it goes up and it crashes and then it, the water just calms itself down and it's like, that's how it is. And I have finally accepted that. I've accepted that these are going to, that there's going to be triggers that I have that no one else has. Um, that's okay. It is okay. And it's okay to have those mental breakdowns in Walmart when you're walking down the diaper aisle. It's okay. Because in this world right now, no one else has to understand your grief. No one else has to understand and they shouldn't, and they probably won't. Now that we wouldn't wish it on anybody. No. And you're in like special clubs. Now you have a friend that died when you were overseas at war. I don't know what that's like. I'm probably, I'm never going to know what that's like. I had a child that died from pneumonia. You're not going to know what that it's like. Probably. There's a lot of people that won't, but there's, there's beauty in the fact that there are these special groups for people to get together and talk about it. Or even just if you have a trusted source that you can reach out to and just tell somebody that you're having a bad day. I worry about, I feel lucky in the sense that I have a good support system. I feel really bad for people that are dealing with any kind of grief in their life and they don't have any kind of support. They don't have someone to tell that they're, they're feeling fucked up and they're feeling sad and they're feeling angry and all of these things. And they don't have someone to say, It'll be okay. Like, I, re I really wish everybody that was going through that kind of grief had the compassionate friends. I do, too. Well, and I also feel like a lot of people that have lost a child don't know about compassionate friends, or they just simply aren't ready to go. It's Some people can dive in really early on, I think, to grief support groups. Some people, you just have to wait until they're ready. And it's like Sharon said from compassionate friends that, like, they'll find, they'll find us. And they do. In whatever way, even though I found them through my doctor, it's like I still found a support group, you know. But death is, um, death is hard. And it's, it's so strange because I feel like it just, it shouldn't be as hard as it is because of how common and how human and how, you know, just, it's it's the thing that the one of the things that binds us all as humans together it's it's one thing that we all have to deal with and different cultures deal with it in different ways and it's just really interesting especially going to compassionate friends and stuff like that now that the way that we look at that like I, i'm sure they do too but like we look at death and when things happen and these people die we're like we automatically are thinking about like the parents yeah, and I think, like, they, we brought that up for COVID, too, like, how many people, and also with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, a friend of mine from work linked me to thebabynames.com, and they had, when all this stuff happened with George Floyd and stuff, they had blacked out their home screen, babynames.com did, and they put all of these names of, of Black people that had died, and just at the top, it said, these are someone's children, and I think that's really important. Like, and with COVID right now, like I've seen, you know, on my social media newsfeed alone, so many people's 
parents who have died from COVID, so many people's aunts and uncles and friends and, and children have died from COVID. And right now, you know, I just wrote an article for our, our newspaper about grieving while grieving. Like we are in a, a interesting time here, 2020, because if you're grieving a death, that's kind of put over here on this burner. And then on this other burner now, the bigger burner, you're going to also be dealing all of the, you're going to be grieving and dealing with the fact that you are, you've lost your sense of normal. And you're, you know, I, I didn't realize how much I was grieving my office environment. I had thrived on my friends there that they gave me a, a daily boost of energy that I never knew how much I needed until I didn't have it anymore. Plus, and then plus I'll, them all just being extremely kind people too. Yeah, I know. My, my job tends to hire the best people in the world. But also, you know, we've been having to have our compassionate friends group meetings virtually and there haven't been as many people joining. Um, and I just, I can't imagine like at the beginning of all of this stuff when, when people were in the hospital and, and their loved ones weren't allowed to be with them and they were going to pass away. I mean, that is going to add a whole other level of trauma to these poor people. Like I, it makes see is makes me, makes me tear up right now thinking about the idea, like thinking about had my mom gotten COVID and I wouldn't have been able to be by her if she passed away or something it breaks my heart. And I, I just, 2020 has added a whole other level of dealing with death and grief that I never even thought was possible. Of course, I'm 39 years old in my lifespan. I don't know that, yeah, there's never really been a pandemic in the way that there has been with, with COVID-19, but I sincerely hope that people who have experienced death or are still experiencing death and grieving and they're stuck in it and they're not moving with the fluid waves of grief that they do have someone that they can reach out to and talk about all of the feelings that make them feel crazy so that you're validated in the sense that you're not crazy and then i think that the word grief and death it has so much weight to it because it's heavy it's and i think that people deal with these things with the toolbox that they're given in life. And so many people don't have the tools to deal with things in a healthy way. I feel grateful that I just made the conscious choice to not drink um, and to not, you know, do drugs and, and stuff like that, especially after Brianna died. Cause I, I'm not saying that I would have turned to that, but I also know how easy it would have been to turn to it. And I'm just glad that I, I didn't. I struggle with, wanting to be alive every day not because i'm suicidal but just because i have never missed someone so much in my life as i do my daughter i have never missed the feeling of someone's skin on my skin as much as i miss my daughter um even like my dad and stuff i miss my dad's hugs but my daughter's skin on my skin was so powerful um and I miss everything. I miss I miss the purpose that she gave me. I miss 
the light and happiness that she gave me and the pride that she gave me. And I still have all of those things, but I, when I say that, I just mean that I miss it being tangible. I miss picking up that little ball of pride and holding it close to me. But no matter what your faith is, I don't know exactly what my faith is these days. And I don't think, I think Scott's agnostic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just know that I have to hold on to the belief that somewhere in the universe after my body is no longer on earth, that I'll be with her in some way, cosmically or, or otherwise. But until then, I'll just continue to talk about it because I think that that's the best way to honor the people's lives that we have lost is to talk about how much we love them, to talk about how they made us laugh, how they made us feel, um, what life was like when they were on earth. What do you think, Scotty? Um, I, I agree. I mean, you, you said it the best way. I would, I was also sitting here thinking like you're talking and I'm nodding a lot yeah. and it'll be really good for the people that's watching this on YouTube <laughs> nodding along with what you're saying, but all these people are going to be like, Oh, he's just sitting there like disconnected from all this. And I'm just like, everything you're saying, I'm just sitting here agreeing with and nodding my head. Well, I think that like, you well, know that this is kind of my area of expertise. A little bit. Not only in experience wise, but like educational wise, I, I have a master's degree in gerontology my undergrad sociology and substance abuse studies and then my associates was victimology so grief is something that I have taken since the beginning of my academic journey I've taken all kinds of bereavement and grieving process classes on top of experiencing what some would say would be the ultimate loss and I would have to agree so I guess it's about time we can wrap it up a little bit um, I would just encourage all of you, if not reaching out to me, to reach out to someone that you trust to talk about a loss that you've had that you're having trouble dealing with because grief not being fluid, grief being standstill grief can be very, very damaging to us mentally. Um, it can take us to a very, very dark place if we don't talk about it, um, if we're afraid of being emotional or whatever reason it is. So if you're listening, I encourage you to reach out and just word vomit to anybody that you can. I'm really good about taking in people's word vomit and reading it and then just <laughs> processing it myself. I've learned so much through other people's grief. It's been such a blessing. Um, but, you know, listening to what they have to say and then just validating them back that I'm listening and I'm here. Because a lot of the times that people are wanting to talk to you, they don't want you to say anything back. They just want you to listen. Um... Next time, I'm going to talk about trauma. I'm actually going to dive into the long version of Brianna um, because it is tied into the fact that I still experience trauma from her death every day. Um, but there were also things along the way that I've experienced in my life that were traumatic as well that have affected me in in different ways that I'm completely at peace talking about. Um, Brianna is the main one that I want to talk about just because, you know, I, a lot of people probably don't know this, but I did have to turn the machines off for Brianna. Um, and so the trauma of that has been something that I've been dealing with for 
a while. And then thus all of that trauma has now manifested itself into fibromyalgia for me, which is chronic pain. And so I just want to kind of dive into that next week. Um, that will be my solo podcast. And then what do we want to talk about next time, Scott? You got any ideas? He's just sitting there leaning. Mm. What do you think would be cool to talk about? I don't know. Let me think of that. And when I was thinking we need like an uplifting one. So I was thinking, why don't we talk about the nineties? Yeah. Okay. So we'll go there uh, after the trauma one. And I hope you guys have a great week. Uh, be kind, love each other and all that jazz. Wear a See mask. Wear a mask. See you on the flip side. Peace. I'm the best singer in the world.